0: I'm going to start with perhaps the most famous Bible verse of all, which is, of course, John 3.16, which says, In the NIV, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen. You know, what that tells us is is that because God's love is so strong for us, Because of that, he sent and he gave his only son. And it tells us that believing or or trusting in or receiving him is the gateway to eternal life. Goes on, verse 17 is great news. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. Now this morning I'm looking at that, the whole passage actually in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1 and going through to verse 21. And we're going to look at the text around that pivotal verse, John 3.16. Because then in this chapter, John 3, Jesus makes several really big and pivotal statements. And those statements give substance and meaning to the Easter story. Our journey's going to... Features seven little sections, and to start with section number one is the context. And the context of this story is Jesus having a conversation with Nicodemus, who we'll meet in just a second. So let's start in verse one. I'm not going to read the whole section all at once, because that would be a bit long. But we'll start with the first eight verses or so. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak to Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So as I said, the context is, is a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a very interesting man. He, he's described here as a, as a religious leader. And he was a member of that, that particularly devout, strict group called the Pharisees, with, with whom Jesus sparred repeatedly. Now, unlike most of the Pharisees, Nicodemus seemed drawn to Jesus. And so in John chapter 7, when, when the religious leaders were discussing the, their concerns about the ripples that Jesus was, was causing, Nicodemus was seen there defending Jesus' rights to a fair hearing. And in John chapter 19, Nicodemus joins Joseph of Arimathea in embalming and wrapping Jesus' dead body before it's placed in the tomb. On this occasion, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes secretly and privately at night and he comes with sincere questions for Jesus. Rabbi, he says, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And then Jesus responds with an enormous statement. This is number two. Number two is the big statement. Verse three, I tell you the truth, which is how Jesus prefaced any massive important statement. He said, this this is something you really need to listen to. Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. A strong and definitive and final statement, unless you are born again. And even though Nicodemus was a a deeply religious man, even though he was an expert in Old Testament law and history and prophecy, Nicodemus was clearly confused by this statement. What do you mean? He exclaimed. How can an old man like me go back into his mother's womb? She was probably dead and be born again. Let me come on to part three. Part three is the explanation. Jesus says this, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and born of the Spirit. Now, now the expression born again could, could equally be translated born from above. And what Jesus is saying here is, is we all experience a natural birth. But if you want to go to heaven we must also experience a, a supernatural, spiritual birth. See, see, born of water, it is, is the physical, the natural birth. But born of the spirit, it is a spiritual, supernatural birth. Verse six, flesh gives birth to flesh. Well, the mum said, amen. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Of course, birth involves the, the creation of new life. And when you're born of the flesh, it's new physical life. But when we're born of the spirit, it's new spiritual life. Remember 2 Corinthians 5:17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have have become new. And Jesus was explaining to to Nicodemus that, that although he was physically alive, he was spiritually dead. So if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you're going to need to be born again or born from above. Why is that? Why is that? Because because before you're spiritually dead. But when you're born again, when you're born from above, you become spiritually alive. Before you're separated from God. Paul said, without hope and without God in the world. But when you're born again, you're brought near by the blood of Christ. Before are dead in your sin, but after you become alive in Christ, before you're foreigners and strangers, afterwards you become children of the covenant, children of the promise, before you were fatherless, but after you are adopted into God's own family, before you were excluded from the temple, or when you're born again, you become God's Temple, living stones, personally indwelt by the very spirit of the living God. The point is that the only way to enter God's family is through the new birth. John 1 verse 11, he came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. 1 Peter 2, verse 3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Christ Jesus from the dead. 1 Peter 1, verse 23, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And then Jesus, Jesus continues his explanation into verse 8. And there's a slightly mysterious verse. He says, The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And now you're probably aware that in both the Greek language and the Hebrew language, they use the same word, to convey the meaning of, of wind and breath and spirit. So in this verse 8, you've got wind and spirits. the word pneuma, the silent peak. And in the Hebrew, it's this word ruach. And interestingly here, you know, given, that, given that Jesus in verse 10 goes on to describe Nicodemus as Israel's teacher, I suspect that that, in fact, I read a commentary by Warren Wearsby, who's one of my favourites, and he, he postulates that, that this thought in, in, in John chapter 3 verse 8 would have, with this idea of the wind blowing, this idea of the spirit quickening, would have, would have brought a particular passage to, to Nicodemus, who was such a biblical scholar, would have brought it directly into his mind. And that passage is, is Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37 is the valley of dry bones, if, if you remember that story. In that story, Ezekiel is carried away by the Spirit in a vision to, to a valley of dry, dead bones. God asks him, he says, can these bones live, son of man? He says, you alone know, Lord. Smart answer. He said, speak to the bones, son of man. Say, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Dipping for a second into Ezekiel 37, verse 5, this is what the sovereign Lord says: Look, I'm gonna put breath, Ruach, and put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you'll know that I am the Lord. So in that in that vision, Ezekiel does just that, and and the Lord, and, and he watches it happen. And it happens just as the Lord had said. Verse 8, then I watched muscles and flesh formed over the bones, then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds. That's that word, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O ruach, come, O breath, from the four winds, ruach. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the messages he commanded me and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Then in verse 13, when this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit around Ruach in you and you will live again. But there in Ezekiel 37, the wind of the spirit blows and God breathes his breath into the spiritually dead and they come alive. So the parallel is, is in Nicodemus' day, the nation of Israel, the religious leaders were dead and dry. They, they were hard and cold. They were going around in religious circles. You know, they may have been devout, but they may have had a strong moral code. They, they may have been precise in their, their ritual and their, their religious observation. They were dead. They desperately needed new life. They needed the wind. They needed spiritual breath. They needed to be born again. Born not of the, of the determination of their own fleshly efforts, but by the wind of the Spirit, they needed to be born from above. Now Nicodemus came by night, and frankly, he and his people were in the dark. Verse nine, he says, "How are these things possible?" He asked, and Jesus replied, "You're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things." So Jesus ex- goes on to explain, explains using using a type. And a type uh, is a prophetic symbol, Um, and it's when an Old Testament story or a person or an event or an an object item points then to, 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 to tell us something about the life or the death or the ministry or the resurrection of Christ the Messiah. And so here we have the type in verse 13. Jesus said, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So here in John 3, we have Jesus referring back to a, another well known story. This time it's, it's Numbers 21, and it's verses 4 to 9. And that story, it, we'll read a little bit. A little bit of it in a second. First of all, it's a story of sin. Israel had rebelled against God in the wilderness. Then number two, it's a story of judgment. God sent poisonous snakes among them. Many were bitten and died. And it's a story of repentance. Because panicking, the people repented, and they asked Moses to cry out to the Lord on their behalf numbers 21 verse 8 then the lord told moses make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole all who are bitten will live if they simply look at it so moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole and then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed he already said it's a story of sin it's a story of judgment It's a story of repentance, but it's also a story of grace because Moses interceded for the people and God provided a remedy. Sound familiar? It's a story of of the gospel, much as, as the snake was lifted up on a pole, so the Son of Man will be lifted up on a cross. And then finally, it's a story of faith that the people could be healed but they had to turn their attention to the object of their healing so so back to this type That the type was a snake serpent it was made of brass bronze and it was elevated on a pole much prophetic symbolism there in the bible The snake always represents a cursed creature The color bronze represents sin and corruption. And of course, the pole symbolizes raised, elevated on a tree. So we have a type, which is the Old Testament picture, and the anti-type is the fulfillment in the New Testament, the object being pointed to, if you like. Of course, that is Jesus' act of substitutionary atonement, taking our place. Cursed by our sin and hanging on our cross. Galatians 3, verse 13, When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself, that's Jesus, the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So here's the, the point that Jesus is making here from the story in Numbers 21 and the account in John chapter 3. Point is this everyone can be saved but but you have to look to the snake on a pole you have to look to christ on the cross and then that leads right directly from there into this definitive statement of gospel in verse 16 for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The God of love and mercy looked down on his fallen creation. He looked down on on his lost sheep. He looked down on all those prodigals beaten up by sin and its consequences. And he gave his one and only son to come and die in our place. Jesus lived, lived the life we could never live. To die the death that we should have died to pay a price that we could never afford and to offer us an internal inheritance that we could never earn. How, how do we receive that inheritance? How do we receive that gift of salvation? John 3.16 says that whoever believes in him. You have to look up at the snake on the pole. You've already read it, John 1, verse 12, but all two believed him and accepted him. He gave the right to become children of God. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, again, we've already heard this morning, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you will be saved. You'll be saved from death to life. You'll be saved from judgment to mercy. You'll be saved from sickness to health. You'll be saved from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. You'll be saved from eternal separation into everlasting fellowship with the Lord. This is the message of Easter. This is the finished work of the cross. This is the gospel of grace that Jesus came to offer to us all because God so loved the world. Two more parts to this. This passage in John 3, just quickly look at those. Number six is a warning. So straight after John three sixteen, John three seventeen, we have verse 18, which says there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. Verse 20, All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. This this, this lays before us, we have a choice between judgment and salvation. We have a choice between believing and rejecting. We have a choice between darkness and light. Unfortunately, the warning that Jesus gives here is that many will choose to love darkness more than light. In fact, they'll turn their back on the light whose name is Jesus. Verse 20, all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for their fear their sins will be exposed. You know, we live, we live in a generation who are trying desperately to avoid the light because they know that it will expose their sin. Worse than that, they've come to call their darkness light. And they're calling our light darkness. Isaiah 5 verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Folks, don't flirt with darkness. Don't compromise with darkness, because if you do, you'll you'll, you'll subconsciously start to avoid the light. And you might even start to to try to justify your choices by calling what you know to be light, darkness, and vice versa. Which is why Scripture's advice to us is flee. It's to run. It's to avoid darkness at all costs. Ephesians 5 verse 11 have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Romans 13, 12, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And then a quick reminder, Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Keep in the word and you will stay in the light. The leads to section seven, the last verse here. This is the opportunity. Verse 21, But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Passion translation says, But those who love the truth will come out into the light and welcome its exposure. for The light will reveal that their fruitful works were produced by God. And so the culmination of this passage is, as you'd imagine, is our commission, which is to show others the beauty and the power and the clarity and the safety of the light. Walk in the light when it's made available to you. Love the light. It's your best friend. And shine the light so all around can see the goodness of God brings to mind, Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Amen. Let's wrap this up. For God, John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We have the sacrificial death of Good Friday. We have the victorious resurrection of Easter Sunday. We have an invitation to eternal life for those who believe from a God who loves you so very much. This is the Easter message. This is the gospel. But you must be born again. You must receive him as your saviour and you must confess him as your Lord. We're going to extend to you that invitation i ask the worship team if they wouldn't mind coming back to the the front. Um, I'm going to offer you two responses today. Response number one is exactly what I've just said. Jesus said, unless you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. To ask you that question, have you been born again? Have you you received Jesus as your saviour? You know, each is a wonderful time to reflect on what he did. Do you believe that? Do you want to walk into, do you want to step into that? Do you want to be saved from darkness to light? All those other wonderful dualities that we've been through this morning. Are you ready today to declare, to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life? If you do, then you can be.